Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm not afraid to burn in hell. conversation so and we're recording after dinner so oh, Lord yeah if you haven't seen the uh commercial for i don't even remember the organization it's like the the freedom from religion foundation the freedom from religion foundation if you have not seen their commercial that airs like at random times really uh all it's, over the yeah. place um it's the best commercial on television right now and it's ron reagan which so Ken and I have been enjoying this commercial for a couple of months now. We first heard it when we were doing a puzzle, and like all we, the first thing that caught our attention was that line, which was "Not afraid to burn in hell." And the guy has a big smile on his face, and we're like, "What?" All right, good for you. So dude. we rewound it, and we were like, "What is this?" So it came on while my dad was watching a show, like right before we had dinner, and I was like, "You have to watch this commercial because he was going to fast forward through it." So we watched it, and he goes. Who knew Ronald Reagan's son would be saying, and we went, what? We did not realize Ron Reagan was actually Ronald Reagan, as in trickle-down economics bullshit Reagan, uh, that he was his son, and his son is, is like- a liberal atheist ballet dancer. The Joffrey ballet dancer, and yeah. I, I'm just obsessed. So we did a deep dive into Ron Reagan's life. He hosted SNL. Uh, he's, he, he had, had a, a late talk night show. talk show yeah. that didn't run for very long because it wasn't as popular as Johnny Carson or Arsenio Hall. Yeah. But what you going to do? But he's had a crazy life. And now his commercial for this freedom against religion like situation, which I am all for, um, it's basically trying to keep religion and, out of government. Yeah. And the government separate, which. It should be, and it's that's what's in the Constitution, but we yep. all very much know that that is not always the way it seems in certain places. But um, how, however you feel about religion generally, yeah. um, that's, that's no, your thing. That's great. But this advertisement, if you haven't seen it, um, is... <laughs> is shockingly entertaining. Oh, it's so At good. At least I, I found it to be, and... Um, and his point is not, he's not saying religion is bad. He's saying no. religion doesn't belong, belong in government. In school and governments, yeah. Um, and the, my organization is fighting for that. Yeah. Um, and then he ends it by saying, I'm Ron Reagan. Lifelong, lifelong atheist, atheist. Unafraid not to, afraid burn, to in burn in hell. <laughs> which apparently was a callback. Well, not a direct callback, but uh, in... 2004, he was being interviewed on Larry King Live, oh. and Larry King asked him why he hadn't run for political office, oh. and his response was, I'm an atheist. I can't be elected to anything because the polls all say that people won't elect an atheist. That was very much true at the time, I think. It's, I think there might be someone in office now that is like- Not, not a major one. Yeah, but not a major one. Even like Joe Biden being Catholic was like, was a big oh, deal. Yeah. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Whatever. Anyway, happy, happy uh, day to you, everyone. Um, we're not going to talk about religion the whole episode because that's not what we cover. No. But mostly we cover malfunctioning bodily functions 
and um oh like farting yeah yeah i i do talk about farting, farting a lot pooping diarrhea pooping. i feel sick <laughs> It's that like I grew up in a generation that had a song about it. It was like, when you're sliding into first and you feel a something burst, diarrhea, diarrhea. When you're sliding into second and you feel something beckon, diarrhea. I, I, was, I was most familiar with when you're driving in your Chevy and you're feeling yep. kind of heavy, diarrhea. Yep. I played I played baseball, so we had we had all the bases had covered. All the, yeah, <laughs> literally all the bases covered. But a ching! Oh no! Ick! Ick indeed! This has been Diarrhea Music Hour <laughs> with from Campfire, Campfire Classics. Classics. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, Hope you're feeling all right today. Um, but I promise <laughs> that is not going to become a recurring bit. So to get off subject, uh, we've got a promo this week. Okay. Uh, well, then let's do this right, shall we? Let's do it right. Hey, do we have a promo this week? We do have a promo oh, well, this week. Well, tell me about it. Uh, it is for a relatively new podcast, but none of the podcast hosts are new. So it is called The Path Went Chilly. Okay. And we're going to play the promo, and they kind of explain what that what is all do. about. All right. So. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold. If you are unfamiliar with my other podcast, I often cover stories from the television show Unsolved Mysteries. For the past five years, you've heard me talk about these cases on my own, but now's your chance to hear me have in-depth discussions about them with other people. I want to welcome you to my new project, The Path Went Chilly, where I will be discussing in-depth with my two good friends and co-hosts cases that I've covered on The Trail Went Cold. Meet my co-hosts. First one up is Jules. Hi, I'm Jules from the podcast Riddle Me That True Crime, and I have a PhD in transpersonal counseling. I'm not a psychologist or a diagnostician, so don't get too excited. But I can't wait to analyze these cases with these two amazing humans. You've already met Robin. Now meet Dr. Ashley Wellman. Hi, I'm Ashley. I have a PhD in criminology, law, and society, and I specialize in trauma victims and survivors. I've spent a great deal of time working with families left behind after homicides with a cold case unit based out of Florida. And I'm also a professor of criminology. I'm so excited to be chatting with two of my best friends about the cases that everyone can't seem to get enough of. We hope in doing so that we will have a clearer perspective of what may have transpired. Oftentimes, Ashley will be totally in the dark. Jules and I will be telling Ashley a story she may not know much about, so all of her reactions are genuine. We hope you will join us as we attempt to heat up some ice-cold cases. The Pathwind Chili will be available every Thursday on all major podcast platforms. Wow, I feel stupid. I um, <laughs> I feel underqualified. And we both have master's degrees. These are people who like, <laughs> well, no, that's not fair. We trained to do what we do on this podcast. We trained to read other people's words out loud. We are every bit as qualified to do what we're doing as they are to do what they are doing. Yeah, suck it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Suck it, PhD suck in it, criminology. PhD. No, I, um, so I know about this podcast through Jules, who has uh, Riddle Me That, which um, you should also go check out Riddle Me That for a great true crime podcast. But this one's relatively new. They're only about 10, 12 episodes in. And it's fantastic because I know that I personally love Unsolved Mysteries. And so they're going back over these like crazy cases like the Cecil Hotel and those like um, these stories you've heard about over and over and over again. And they're analyzing it from like a academic like 
breakdown of people that are actually trained to do this. So please go check that out. Um, they're new and go check out the other two podcasts as well. And uh, thanks for uh, uh, doing a little promo swap with us. Path went chilly. Check right. it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so is that is that it for old business? I mean, we did our promo. I talked about atheism. Atheist. Atheism? Atheism. Atheisticness. <laughs> about being, uh, you know, about religious freedom. We talked about that and we did some poop jokes. So yeah. I think we're ready to move on to like what we actually do here. To what we do. All right. So for our first time <laughs> listeners, because as I'm fond of saying, every episode is somebody's first and episode. And if you're still here, thanks. <laughs> um, what what we actually do is, uh, well, just, just what what I say at the beginning of the show. We try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We dig into stories by... Um, famous or at least important authors of yesteryear and uh, read some short stories and see what happens. So this week I have selected a story for Heather to read aloud. She doesn't know what the story is yet, so you're going to get to hear her try to read this story cold oh, for the very like first time. Oh, it's kind of like Path Chili. They like do a story for their other co-host, yeah. Ashley, and Who then she's tries like, to anal- uh, yeah, analyze, analyze it. Yeah. it. So fun. Love that. Love that little cross fun. But first, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background info on uh, on this week's author. Because we like to learn things because we're smart. Be, so this <laughs> is this is uh, an edutainment podcast about literature. Uh, so Joseph Thomas Sheridan Le Fanu. Oh, my God. That name <laughs> was an Irish author. Yay, Ireland. I know, I, I I'm an Irish thought, gal. I thought, based on that name, that he was French. French I, but, yeah, I was yeah, like, no. oh no, oh no, do I have to do a French accent no. again? So an Irish author, <laughs> famous for writing all of the kinds of stuff that we read so much of on this podcast. He wrote mysteries, gothic fiction, horror stories. The good like, shit. That was his, his meat and potatoes. My favorite. He's an author who was recommended to us by Mary Ann Bakken or Mary Ann Boken uh, on the Facebook page group page Thinking Horror. Nice. Uh, I collected my info for today's fun facts from all of our usual places, Wikipedia, Britannica Online, uh, but also um, excerpts from M.R. James. Uh, I'm not sure if it was an essay or a book or what it was, but it's called Some Remarks on Ghost Stories. And he, he wrote about... About um, this author. Uh, well, about... The ghost story genre and and other writers and and whatnot in the genre. And for those of you that don't know, M. R. James, we have read before, and he is known. He is like yeah, he's he's yeah. a ghost story guru. Yeah, uh, and then <laughs> ghost story guru. Oh, that's a great title. Um, and uh, and Lafanu's uh, biography dot com entry. Great, I love the internet. So. Uh, a little general stuff before we get into his bio. Uh, M.R. James, who, as you said, uh, has written a couple of our stories, described him as absolutely in the first rank as a writer of ghost stories. E.F. Benson of The Room in the Tower fame. Don't go into the room in the tower. Also praised his work, saying his work was first rank and that, quote, 
As a flesh creeper, he is unrivaled. No one else has so sure a touch in mixing the mysterious atmosphere in which horror darkly breeds. As a flesh creeper? That sounds like a nightmare in itself. <laughs> well well worded, sir. That brought together so many like vivid images. Yeah. Um, so those those are those are some of the people who have praised him. So how about we learn a little bit about him. Let's, because I know nothing about him. So he was born in Dublin in 1814 to a very literate and well-educated family. Uh, his father was the Dean of Emley, so he was a clergyman in the Church of Ireland. Okay. His mother was a writer who produced, among other things, a biography on a guy named Charles Orpin. Wait, how? when was this? Uh, 1814. Damn, and his yeah. mother was a biographer? A, a published biographer. Not even, like, writing, like, women's stories? She no. was a... Damn, um, good for and, her. And Charles Orpin, the guy that her biography was about, was an Irish physician, writer, and clergyman who founded the Claremont Institute for the Deaf and Dumb. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Um, so he got a strong lady presence in his life. Both his grandmother, Alicia Sheridan Le Fanu, and his great uncle, Richard Brinsley Sheridan, were playwrights. <laughs> okay. And his niece, Rhoda Broughton, uh, would become a successful novelist later. So okay. he's got a very literary family. It's a very, uh, very well-writ family. Yeah. Le Fanu's father liked to keep his family living as though they were very well off, but... <laughs> He's a clergyman. Because there was rebellion from the Irish Catholics against the state-mandated tithes that helped pay the salaries of Protestant clergy, he actually ended up spending much more than he had. Yeah, we won't get into the uh, the drama of Ireland and the church. Yeah. Um, so uh, living beyond their means was apparently kind of a family trait. Okay. Uh, Papa Le Fanu had to borrow 100 pounds from his cousin, who happened to end up in debtor's prison a few years later. He borrowed that money so he could visit his dying sister, who was also deeply in debt. Oh, no. <laughs> On his death, Thomas, the, the father, uh, Papa had, Le Fanu. Yeah, had almost nothing to leave his children, and the family had to sell his library to pay off some of his debts. Wow. So Sheridan uh, grows up in 1844. He got married to Susanna Bennett, the daughter of a very politically active family, and Le Fanu became active in the Irish nationalist home rule movement. Oh, so the, the separatist movement. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> Again, we won't get into that. <laughs> not going to get into that, but eventually they moved into a home that was owned by her family. Okay. Le Fanu was asked to pay only 22 pounds a year in rent. He never <laughs> managed to pay it in full. Oh, my God. Keeping up with that family tradition. <laughs> I'm going into debt. He's like, ah, eh, we're family. I don't really have to pay that rent. It's like when my dad goes, we need to mow the lawn to pay our rent. <laughs> he doesn't really mean it, but he kind of does. So, um, his wife, after the death of some close friends and family, started exhibiting neurotic behavior and anxiety, which led to marital problems. I know nothing about anxiety. In 1858, <laughs> she suffered a hysterical attack 
and died the next day under unclear circumstances. Oh, she had undiagnosed mental illness issues. Almost certainly. Oh, hysterical um, is a term for when women had, like, mental health issues. Yeah. Like, that's what, especially in the 1800s. In, in his diaries uh, Sherid, and, and letters, Sheridan wrote things that suggest that he felt almost as much guilt for her death as he felt um, loss over her death. Because like he, he couldn't help her. He, yeah, he, he felt like the tensions in family life led to her death. And like he felt lonely and, and sad at the loss, but also like, oh, what could I have done? What I, Could I have made this better somehow? In fact, he felt so guilty and grief-stricken that he stopped writing fiction for years after her death. Aww. And it was so he either was really, really awesome or he murdered her or he murdered her, which and he couldn't write fiction because he was worried he would he would accidentally write a confession. I'm going to hope he's just a really awesome guy. Um, so it was only after he returned to writing fiction after the death of his mother um, a few years later that he started writing his most famous works like his, so his, his the greatest um, his his most famous and most important works all come much later in life. Okay, uh, they fall he had under. To learn, he had to go through some life. He, to he become had to a go good through writer. some trauma. That's... Um, they fall under a category known as sensation fiction, and they are stylistically often compared to another Campfire Classics author, Wilkie Collins. Oh well. Um. So today, his most well known book is uh, a book called Carmilla. Oh. Published in 1871 and 1872 in in just a year before his death. Carmilla is a prototypical lesbian vampire novel that predates Dracula by 25 years. You hear that, Bram Stoker? 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 Not Stroker. Not Stroker. Stroker. (laughs) That's the porn version, sorry. Um, Uh, (laughs) It is considered by many to be his best and most important work, and it is frequently listed amongst works foundational to modern literature. Well, at least it got published before he died, so he got to like yeah, experience the like the and, excitement over and, it. And he had he had several other very successful books, but that is the one that today that is has like. Stayed. Oh, this is now this is now considered his most influential because. Um, when when later books like Dracula yeah. and and whatnot came out, um, I've seen I've seen that on like lists, yeah. like when you're like the hundred books you should read before you die, kind of thing. There there are also several movies based oh, either cool. either directly or loosely on that story. I want to see a musical made out of it. I've never <laughs> read it, but uh, some lesbian vampires. Carmilla! Have- exclamation point! The musical. <laughs> the musical. Lesbian vampires on Broadway, like. Well, I don't know. Vampire musics don't, they don't do well on Broadway. They don't do great on Broadway. Uh, So then, like, a year later in 1873, at 58 years old, La Fanu died of a heart attack. Mm. According to Russell Kirk, an American writer from a couple of generations later, La Fanu, quote, is believed to have literally died of fright, but... He does not go on to give circumstances about what that means, and I can't find out what he was referring to. What? Did he, like... 
Did so I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know because I couldn't find Hey Path went chilly. Get on that because uh <laughs> that's an unsolved mystery right there. That's creepy. Yeah. That sounds ter- like it sounds like he like saw a ghost saw or a like saw ghost and died or I or, yeah, I don't know. Or like told his friends he was like being haunted by something and then like he died randomly and people were like uh-oh. <laughs> like, yeah. So um It's cool. Um but creepy. anyway, uh this week you will be reading a short story from <laughs> Sheridan La Fanu called oh, and I picked this one because of the title of course dick on the devil wait dick on the devil no dick on <laughs> like dick on tarly <laughs> dick on the devil oh I can't wait for the promo stuff I used to promote this all right let's start that fire as we go to hell Dick on the devil. <laughs> Dick on the devil. <laughs> Sheridan La Fanu. We're off to a good start here. <laughs> I'm so red from <laughs> laughing at like a freaking like adolescent child about this. All right. About 30 years ago. I was selected by two rich old maids to visit a property in that part of Lancashire which lies near the famous forest of Pendle, with which Mr. Ainsworth's Lancashire witches has made us so pleasantly familiar. I wonder okay. if that's a real story. Or I'm guessing it is it probably a is. real story. That Ooh, it's about witches. Ooh, it's like, I wonder if Lancashire is like the Salem of England. <laughs> Let's find out. My business was to make partition of a small property, including a house and a dem, dem, demines, demines, D-E-M-E-S-N-E. Deman. Deman. Oh, French. Land attached to a manor and retained for the owner's own use. So acreage. So, yeah, the, it's the, the yard. acreage. Okay. A house and a yard. Fucking French. Might be Demon. Demon. All right. My business was to make partition of a small property, including a house and a Demon yardage, to which they had a long time before succeeded as co heiress. Her- <laughs> co heiresses? Heiresses. Yeah. That sounds so wrong when you say it out loud. Co heiresses. So are they lesbians? Two rich old maids, so they never got married, and they live together, and they own a property together. I like this. This All right. All right. So he's got... Well, I mean... And they're probably witches. Lesbian vampire is his most famous story. The last 40 miles of my journey, I was obliged to post, chiefly by crossroads, little known and less frequented, and presented scenery often extremely interesting and pretty. The picturesqueness of the landscape was enhanced by the season, the beginning of September, at which I was traveling. Aww. Try to remember the, the kind, kind of, of September. September. I have never been in this part of the world before. I am told it is now a great deal less wild and consequentially less beautiful. <laughs> the paved paradise put in a parking lot. Ooh. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> it's a very musical episode thus far. Aren't they all? Yes. 
You're welcome. Maybe we should start promoting this as a comedy literature musical musical podcast. <laughs> I'll get my brother to start composing underscoring. Well, he's composed to, some stuff for us before. To so everything. everything. Fuck it. Let's do it. And we'll do. Oh, and I can just flip on. Uh, I can flip on auto tune on GarageBand so that everything we do. Oh, God. Is just. It, it's. It's. <laughs> I would not listen to it's that. It's 12 tone music. Oh, my God. It's like. <laughs> I have never been in this part of the world before. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Consequentially less beautiful, the land. At the inn where I had stopped for a relay of horses and some dinner, for it was then past five o'clock, I found the host, a hale old fellow of five and sixty, as he told me, a man of easy and gar- garrulous benevolence, G A R R U L O U S. We're getting some good words in this one. Garrulous. Ah. Excessively talkative, especially <laughs> on trivial manners. The sentence that they give to put to the word into context. It. Polonius is portrayed as a <laughs> foolish, garrulous old man. Yes. That's also a very academic sentence to put it in. I love that. Right. So this is Ophelia's dad. It's Ophelia's dad. Hopefully it ends up Hopefully better, it turns out better, better for, him. for him. All right. <laughs> I found the host, a hale old fellow of five and sixty, as he told me, a man of easy and garrulous benevolence, willing to accommodate his guests with any amount of talk, which the slightest tap sufficed to set flowing on any subject you please. I was curious to learn something about Barwick, which was the name of the Deme, Deme, the property. Yeah. Demont, the property, the house I was going to. As there was no inn within some miles of it, I had written to the steward to put me up there the best way he could for a night. Oh, he's going to stay in the creepy house. Oh, all right. Cool. Here we go. All right. Know where this is going now. Oh, I love it. The host of the three nuns, which was the sign under which he entertained wayfarers, had not a great deal to tell. It was 20 years or more since old Squire Bowes died, and no one had lived in the hall ever since, except the gardener and his wife. Tom Winsour will be an old man as myself, but he's a bit taller and not so much in flesh quite, said the fat innkeeper. (laughs) Yeah, a fleshy innkeeper, that's what you want. A fleshy innkeeper. Didn't he say with? He said like with not so much flesh as As with not so much flesh as me. Yeah. So you want a fleshy innkeeper? (laughs) Oh, I don't know who this guy is, but I love him. All right. (laughs) But there were stories about the house. I repeated that they said prevented tenants from coming into it. Old wives' tales many years ago, that will be, sir. I forgot them. I forgot them all. Oh, yes, uh, there always will be when a house is left, so foolish folk will always be talking. But I hadn't heard a word about it in this 20 years. <laughs> it was vain trying to pump him. The old landlord of the three nuns, for some reason... Why were you trying to pump him? <laughs> well, maybe he paid for that service. 
the three right. nuns is a is a euphemism for something it's else. A special kind of establishment. Yeah, I'll pump him. Dude, don't pump the innkeeper. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't say he was upset about it. And well, oh no, I would assume he wasn't. <laughs> it was vain trying to pump him. The old landlord of the three nuns, for some reason, did not choose to tell tales of Barwick Hall. If he really did, as I suspected, remember them. <laughs> I paid my reckoning and resumed my journey, well pleased with the good cheer of the old world inn, but a little disappointed. We had been driving for more than an hour when we began to cross a wild common, and I knew that this past, a quarter of an hour would bring me to the door of Barwick Hall. The peat and firs were pretty soon left behind. We were again in the wooded scenery that I enjoyed so much, so entirely natural and pretty, and so little disturbed by traffic of any kind. I was looking from the chaise window and soon detected the object of which for some time my eye had been in search. Barwick Hall was a large, quaint house. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Large and quaint. Large and quaint. Yeah, I'm immediately picturing just like an oversized version of the witch's house in like any version of Hansel and Gretel or whatever. You're envisioning a candy house? Yeah, I'm envisioning like an oversized (laughs) gingerbread cottage. Wow, uh, that is not what I saw. I saw much more like a Downton Abbey, but like not with all the towers at the top. So it's like a big square residence that's clearly An like... An oversized gingerbread house would be square. <laughs> We're going to find out. We're going to find out. He's describing it. Let's find out if it's, Let's a, see if he eats if it's the an roof. edible house. Because <laughs> we know there's a witch in that story. So, But honestly, and this is a Sex and the City quote, so I can't claim it. If a bunch of kids came along and ate my like fucking dream house, I would put them in the oven too. She says, imagine this old woman moves to the middle of nowhere to get away from people and she builds her dream house covered in candy and these brats come along and they eat it. What do you think she's going to do? She's not a witch. She's just protecting her property. (laughs) I don't think I would put them in the oven. (laughs) I'm not saying they don't deserve to be punished. I'm just saying going all Titus Andronicus on them is maybe not... We don't know she's gonna eat them. She's just gonna. That's she's got a gas oven. She just put their heads in there. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not in fairness, condoning murder in of fairness, children. Titus <laughs> didn't eat the people he put into the pies. Yeah, yeah. Neither did Sweeney Todd. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know what he was snacking on during the day. <laughs> as far as we know, he was not eating the pie. They weren't eating their supply. They were selling it. Well, they had to eat. Yeah, but. <laughs> Toby was eating the pies. Every dealer knows you don't smoke your own supply. But they all fucking don't do that. You know that. When we smoked weed, they'd always sit down and smoke weed with us. After they sold it to you. Well, yes. Yeah. But they sell the pie, but then they eat it. But then, no, but then it's not, then it's not their supply anymore. It's your supply because they've sold it to you. So they could still be eating the people pies. They just, they're like, someone buys like a dozen. They're like, sit down and have one sit with me. Sit down and have one with me. Yes, but then it's been paid for by someone else. Oh my God, get out of here. We're so it's no longer, all of this it's no longer their supply. <laughs> it's out. now someone else's pie. I'm going to read this story. <laughs> Jesus. 
all I'm saying is if you're going to eat the neighbor children, make sure you sold them to someone else first. Who says she didn't? I don't know. She's got a dick on the devil. I don't know. <laughs> a deal with the devil or a dick on it. Um, anyway. Dicking down the devil. Dicking down the devil. Barwick Hall was a large, quaint house of that cage work fashion known as black and white, in which the bars and angles of an oak framework contrast black as ebony with the white plaster that overspreads the masonry built into its interstilics? Inter I N T E R S T I C E S. Interstice. Interstice. Plural, interstices. Interstices, which is what this is. Uh, an intervening space, especially a small one. So interstice just means the space between. Fucking shit. Anchorage. Space between. Writers. <laughs> this is... Um, hey, Shakespeare. This, this, this did, he did write this in like the 1850s or something. Oh, yeah. It's so. beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful word. I'm not, I'm being a bitch. Because it's pretty. <laughs> I'm being a bitch because I don't understand it. Because I don't have a PhD. I'm I'm being rude to cover my insecurities. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, black as ebony with the white plaster that overspreads the masonry built into the inter... Say it again. Interstices. Interstices. That's a hard fucking word to say. And the word before it is its. It's interstices. <laughs> Into its interstices. Interstices? It's interstices. Into its interstices. I'm going to give it one more shot. Black as ebony with the white plaster that overspreads the masonry built into its interstices. This steep-roofed Elizabethan house stood in the midst of park-like grounds of no great extent, but rendered imposing by the noble stature of the old trees that now cast their lengthening shadows eastward over the sward from the declining sun. What is the sward? I'm guessing the yard. The yard. S-W-A-R-D. An expanse of short grass. The fucking yard. <laughs> The park wall was gray with age and in many places laden with ivy in deep gray shadow that contrasted with the dim fires of evening reflecting on the foliage above it in a gentle hollow stretched a lake that looked cold and black and seemed, as it were, to sulk from observation with a guilty knowledge. Ooh. I had forgot that there was a lake at Barwick. But the moment this caught my eye, like the cold polish of a snake in the shadow, my instinct seemed to recognize something dangerous, and I knew that the lake was connected, I could not remember how, with the story I had heard of this place in my boyhood. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I drove up a grass-grown avenue under the boughs of the noble trees, whose foliage, dyed in autumnal red and yellow, returned the beams of the western sun gorgeously. I drew up the door, I got out, and had a good look at the front of the house. It was a large and melancholy mansion, with signs of long neglect upon it. Great wooden shutters, in the old fashion, were barred, outside, across the windows— Grass and even nettles were growing thick in the courtyard, and a thin moss streaked the timber beams, 
The plaster was discolored by time and weather and bore great russet and yellow stains. The gloom was increased by several grand old trees that crowded close about the house. I mounted the steps. <laughs> Did you ask first? <laughs> <laughs> Pumping the innkeeper and mounting Mountain the, the steps. steps. Come on. This description. It's beautiful. Is a house that either I would run away from in terror mm-hmm. or I would be like, What's the price? It's that's my house now. Um, I have a feeling just like knowing a little bit about the writer and like the buildup that <clears throat> yeah. this is gonna be one you don't wanna buy, yeah. um, unless you want your dick on the devil. So <laughs> do you want your dick on the devil? That is a question we're asking all our listeners right now. Do you? Think about it as we as we Learn more. Think, yeah, think about that's an important <clears throat> question. That is that's an important it. question. I mean, all real real estate agents should ask that before you buy this property. Do you, do want, you want your, your dick, dick on, on the, the devil? devil? <laughs> what the fuck does that I mean? Guess, guess that means do you want to be in debt, like in debt to the world? Like, is this well, in your we budget? Know, we know the author's family history. Yep. Do you want your dick on the devil? <laughs> I want that to be the new way I say. Are you in debt? Is your dick on the devil? Do you have student loans? I'm trying <laughs> to decide fuck? which college I want to go to when I graduate from high school. Okay, well, let me stop you right there. Do you want your dick on the devil? Because if you do, then go to like then Yale, then go to Harvard, then go to college. Yeah. If you don't, take a couple of years off or go to because like go be when, a plumber. Once you turn once you turn 26, colleges are just going to throw money at you. Go back later. Ken and I both did that. We both did that. I highly recommend it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge to anyone who... Wait till you are considered a non-traditional student and they just give you an education. Okay, anyway. I mounted the steps and looked round. The dark lake lay near me now, a little to the left. It was not large. It may have covered some 10 or 12 acres. That's that's a fucking big lake. It's a decent sized lake. Like anything bigger than that, it's like I want to go water skiing. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it huge, but, but I grew could, up in Minnesota. You, but you can also like that's a kayaking lake. That's oh, a fishing lake. Yeah, no, that's that's a respectable. It's definitely it's not, not a, a pond. pond. Yeah, it's a lake. It's a lake. It's okay. It's not the size that matters. It's what you do with it. Well, he did say it hangs a little to the left. <laughs> it may have covered some ten or twelve acres, but it added to the melancholy of the scene. Near the center of it was a small island with two old ash trees leaning towards each other, their pensive images reflected in the stirless water. Go to the island, go to the island, go to the island, go to the island. (laughs) He might. The only cheery influence in this scene of antiquity, solitude, and neglect was that the house and landscape were warmed with the ruddy western beams. I knocked, and my summons resounded hollow and ungenial in my ear, and the bell, from far away, returned a deep-mouthed and surly ring, as if it resented being roused from a score-year's slumber. So it didn't want to be roused. So It's an un- uninvited blowjob. Do, do you, do you want to tell your Cinderella joke? Since since we're here, as long as okay, as long so as we're here. The only joke. So I'm terrible. Okay, so I'm an actor. The only joke I can ever remember when like in an audition, they're like, "Tell us a joke." You know, they were like, "This is the only joke I can remember." What did Cinderella say when she got to the ball? And they go, "What?" And I go, 
and that either books me the job or they never call me in ever again for any project that ever existed. You uh you told that joke like um, in grad early school. early on in grad yeah, school and when somebody said tell us a joke. When, well, and that was a it was it was in in a class yes. and we all had to go around and tell a joke and the joke I told was like 10 minutes long yes. and the punchline was really disappointing cuz that's the kind that's of the joke kind of I joke tell. That's you do. Um, and you told that joke and I went, ooh, her. <laughs> that's, that's the joke that made you want to marry me. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. I love that you remember that. That's fucking fabulous. A light limbed, jolly looking old fellow in a Barakian jacket and gaiters with a smile of welcome and a very sharp red nose. Santa answered the door, basically. Barakian? I assumed like Barack Obama's tan suit. Oh, no, but listen to like light limbed, jolly looking old fellow with a smile of welcome and a red nose that seemed to promise good cheer opened the door. Well, it's like ho ho ho, welcome. But like Obama, Obama too. is jolly and light limbed. I don't think he has a red nose though. He doesn't have a red nose. Maybe he's been but drinking he does, more now that he, he's not president. But he anymore. does promise good cheer. He does hope. That was his. That, that was, was his, his whole thing. Obama opened the door. All right, Obama or Santa? They're. I mean, they're the same thing. They are the same. So thing. Obama Claus, Barack Claus, Obama Claus. I like Obama Claus. I like Obama Claus. So Obama Claus opens the door. <laughs> Oh, now I'm going to have to commission someone to draw that so we can use it. (laughs) No. A light-limbed, jolly-looking old fellow in a Barakian jacket and gaiters with a smile of welcome and a very sharp red nose that seemed to promise good cheer opened the door with a promptitude that indicated a hospitable expectation of my arrival. There was but little light in the hall, and that little lost itself in the darkness in the background. It was very spacious and lofty, with a gallery running round it, which, when the door was open, was visible at two or three points. Almost in the dark, my new acquaintance led me across the wide hall into the room designated for my reception. It was spacious and wainscoted up to the ceiling. Wainscoted? Wainscoted? Yes. What's wainscoted? An area of wooden paneling on the lower part of the walls of a room. So it's it's like the paneling goes all the way up. Yeah, the paneling. So it's but, an all wooded wall. It was spacious and wainscoted up to the ceiling. The furniture of this captious chamber was old-fashioned and clumsy. <laughs> there were curtains still to the windows and a piece of turkey carpet lay upon the floor. <laughs> I know he means Turkish, Turkish carpet, carpet, but now I'm just imagining like a bearskin rug, but it's a turkey rug. It's just oh. feathers. It's just... Anyway, the furniture of this captious chamber was old-fashioned and clumsy. There were curtains still to the windows and a piece of turkey carpet lay upon the floor. Those windows were two in number, looking out through the trunks of the trees close to the house upon the lake. 
It needed all the fire and all the pleasant associations of my entertainer's red nose to light up this melancholy chamber. Oh, so it's not Santa, it's Rudolph. Rudolph! His his red nose is lighting the room. That's nice. Adored its farther end, admitted to the room that was prepared for my sleeping apartment. It was wainscoted like the other. It had a four-post bed with heavy tapestry curtains, and in other respects was furnished in the same old world and ponderous style as the other room. Its windows, like those of that apartment, looked out upon the lake. I wonder if that lake's going to be important. The lake's going to be important. (laughs) Somber and sad as these rooms were, they were yet scrupulously clean. I had nothing to complain of, but the effect was rather dispiriting. Having given some direction about supper, a pleasant incident to look forward to, and made a rapid toilet. (laughs) That, okay, that was a first in this podcast. This is the first time anyone has actually gone, I I had took a shit. in movies and stories like no one talks about going to the bathroom nope this person just went yeah i gave some directions about what i wanted for dinner i was really excited about it and then i went and took a nice fast shit i'll uh i'll have the uh i think the pork and do you have a pinot i feel like that'd be really good Uh, good. uh no not not the potatoes give me a salad i need some greenery also where's your toilet i gotta take a shit (laughs) And made a rapid toilet. (laughs) I called on my friend with the gaiters and red nose, his name, Tom Windesauer, whose occupation was that of a bailiff or understeward of the property to accompany me. As we had still an hour or so of sun and twilight in a walk over the grounds. It was a sweet autumn evening, and my guide, a hardy old fellow, strode at a pace that tasked me to keep up. (laughs) Well, all right. Among clumps of trees at the northern boundary of the yard, we lighted upon the little antique parish church. Oh, no, there's a church on the grounds. That's also not good. I was looking down upon it from an eminence, and the park wall interposed. But a little way down was a stile affording access to the road, and by this we approached the iron gate of the churchyard. I saw the church door open. The sexton was replacing his pick. (laughs) That only sounds dirty. I know. I saw the church door open. The sexton was replacing his pick, shovel, and spade, with which he had just been digging a grave in the churchyard, in their little repository under the stone stair of the tower. He was a polite, shrewd little hunchback who was very happy to show me over the church. Among the monuments was one that interested me. It was erected to commemorate the very squire boughs from whom my two old maids had inherited the house and estate of Barwick. It spoke of him in terms of grandulent elegy and informed the Christian reader that he had died in the bosom of the Church of England at the age of 71. I read this inscription by the parting beams of the setting sun, which disappeared behind the horizon just as we passed out from under the porch. Twenty years since the squire died,' said I, reflecting as I loitered still in the churchyard. 
I, sir, twill be twenty years the ninth uh, last May, and a very old gentleman, good-natured enough, and an easy gentleman he was, sir. I don't think while he lived here he ever heard a fly, acquiesced Tom. It ain't always easy saying what's in em, though, and what they may take or turn to afterwards, and some of them sort, I think, goes mad." Don't think he was out of his mind, I asked. He? La! No, not he, sir. A bit lazy, mayhap, like other old fellows, <laughs> but a new devilish well what he was about. Tom's account was a little enigmatable, but, like old Squire Bows, I was a bit lazy that evening and asked no more questions about him. <laughs> We got over the stile upon the narrow road that skirts the churchyard. It is overhung by elms more than a hundred years old, and in the twilight, which now prevailed, was growing very dark. As side by side we walked along the road, hemmed in by two loose stone-like walls, something running towards us in a zigzag line passed us at a wild pace, with a sound like a frightened laugh or a shudder. And I saw, as it passed, that it was a human figure. I may confess now that I was a little startled. The dress of this figure was, in part, white. I know I mistook it at first for a white horse coming down the road at a gallop. Tom turned about and looked after the retreating figure. "'He'll be on his travels tonight,' he said in a low tone. Easy served with a bed, that lad be. Six feet o' dry peat or heath, nor a nook in a dry ditch. That lad hasn't slept once in a house this twenty year, and never will while grass grows. Is he mad? I asked. Something that way, sir. He's an idiot, an ompy. We call him Dickon the Devil. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there it is. Title of the story. Dick on the devil. <laughs> we call him Dick on the devil because the devil is almost the only word that is ever in his mouth. It struck me that this idiot was some way connected with the story of the old squire bows. Queer things are told of him, I dare say, I suggested. More or less, sir, more or less. Queer stories, some. Um, Twenty years since he has slept in a house. That's about the time the squire died, I continued. So it will be, sir, and not very long after. You must tell me about that, Tom, tonight, when I can hear it comfortably after supper. <laughs> like, I can't deal with it right now. I'm a little hungry and... And like, and like a ghost just ran past. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to be comfortable. Like, give me a chair, light the fire. A I don't brandy. Wanna do, yeah, yeah, I don't want to deal with it now. We soon reached a point where he unlocked a wicket at the park wall by which we entered the grounds of Barwick once more. 
The twilight deepened over the landscape, the huge and solemn trees and the distinct outline of the haunted house exercised a somber influence on me, which, together with the fatigue of the day of travel and the brisk walk we had had, disinclined me to interrupt the silence in which my companion now indulged. A certain air of comparative comfort uh, uh, on, a certain air of comparative comfort on our arrival in great measure dissipated the gloom that was stealing over me. Although it was by no means a cold night, I was very glad to see some wood blazing in the grate, and a pair of candles aiding the light of the fire made the room look cheerful. A small table with a very white cloth and the preparations for supper was also very agreeable. I should have liked very well under these influences to have listened to Tom's story, but after supper I grew too sleepy to attempt to lead him to the subject, and after yawning for a time, I found there was no use in contending against my drowsiness, so I betook myself to my bedroom and by ten o'clock was fast asleep. Dinner and a fire will do that to you. Yeah, and you know he had a glass or two of wine. I mean, that's that's what you do. What interruption I experienced that night, I shall tell you presently. It was not much, but it was very odd. By next night, I had completed my work at Barwick. From early morning till then, I was so incessantly occupied and hard-worked that I had not time to think over the singular occurrence to which I had just referred. Behold me, however, at length once more seated at my little supper-table, having ended a comfortable meal. It had been a sultry day, Ooh, well. <laughs> and I had thrown one of the large windows up as high as it would go. I was sitting near it with my brandy and water at my elbow, looking out into the dark. There was no moon, and the trees that are grouped about the house make the darkness round it supernaturally profound on such nights. Tom, said I, as soon as the jug of hot punch I had supplied him with began to exercise its genial and communicative influence. <laughs> you must tell me who beside your wife and you and myself slept in the house last night. So he got Tom drunk and now he's like, so. So what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Tom, sitting near the door, set down his tumbler and looked at me askance. Well, you might count seven without speaking a word. Who else slept in the it's not the same dialect I've been using for him. Who else slept, Who in, else the house? slept in the house? <laughs> Who else slept in the house? He repeated very deliberately. Not a living soul, sir. And he looked hard at me, still evidently expecting something more. That is very odd, I said, returning his stare and feeling really a little odd. You are sure you were not in my room last night? Were you... Tom, Tom, Tom. I know we have a we have a connection, but did you come in my room last night? I won't tell your wife. It's cool. Tom, <laughs> not till I came to call on you, sir, this morning. I can make oath of that. Well, said I, there was someone there. I can make oath of that. 
I was so tired I could not make up my own mind to get up, but I was waked by a sound that I thought was someone flinging down the two tin boxes in which my papers were locked up violently on the floor. I heard a slow step on the ground, and there was a light in the room, although I remembered having put out my candle. I thought it must have been you who had come in for my clothes and upset the boxes by accident. Whoever it was, he went out and the light with him. It was about to settle again when the curtain began to open at the foot of the bed. I saw a light on the wall opposite, such as a candle from outside would cast if the door was very cautiously opening. I started up in the bed, drew the side curtain, and saw the door was opening and admitting light from outside. It is close, you know, to the head of the bed. A hand was holding on the edge of the door and pushing it. Not a bit like yours, a very singular hand. Let me look at yours. He extended it for inspection. Oh, no, there is nothing wrong with your hand. This was... (laughs) Oh, your hand is quite normal. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with your hand. This was differently shaped fatter and uh, the middle finger was stunted and and shorter than the rest looking as if it had once been broken and the nail was crooked like a claw i called out who's there and and the light and the hand were withdrawn and i saw and heard no more from my visitor it was the fat innkeeper (laughs) it's the guy from the three nuns he came for another pumping he came for another pump you pump once you better pump again "'So sure as you're a living man, that was him!' exclaimed Tom, his very nose growing pale and his eyes almost starting out of his head. "'Who?' I asked. "'Old Squire Bowes! "'Twas his hand you saw, the Lord o' mercy on us!' answered Tom. "'The broken finger and the nail bent like a hoop. "'Well, for you, sir, he didn't come back when you called that time.' You came here about them Miss Domick's business, and he never meant they should have a foot of ground in Barwick, and he was making a will to give it away quite different when death took him sort. Uh-oh. He never was uncivil to no one, but he couldn't abide them ladies. His mind misgave him when I heard twas about their business you were coming, and now you see how it is. He'll be at his old tricks again. <laughs> With some pressure and a little more punch, I induced Tom to explain his mysterious illusions by recounting the occurrences which followed the old squire's death. "'Squire Bowes of Balwick died without making a will, as you know,' said Tom. "'And all the folk round were sorry. "'That is to say, sir, as sorry as folks will be for an old man "'that had seen a long tale of years "'and has no right to grumble that death has knocked an hour too soon at his door.' So he he died, but, you know, he was old. So he was old. It was all right. He, is, he, he did so okay. He was still sad, but, you know. The squire was well liked. He was never in a passion or said a hard word, and he would not hurt a fly, and that made what happened after his decease the more surprising. The first thing these ladies did when they got the property was to buy stock for the park. It was not wise, in any case, to graze the land on their own account, but they little knew all that they had to contend with. 
Before long, something went wrong with the cattle. First one, and then another, took sick and died, and so on, till the loss began to grow heavy. So this is the beginning of mad cow disease. This is bullshit. Yeah, this is how it started. <laughs> Fuck, that's why I can't give blood, because I lived in England <laughs> during mad cow disease, and now they're like, oh, it might lay dormant in you for 50 years, so you can't donate blood. And I'm like, I think I'm good. I mean, I am, like, unstable, but, like, it's not because of mad cow disease. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but you might have a part of an old Irish ghost in you. You bet I do. I stayed in some <laughs> creepy old castles. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what mad cow disease actually is. It's just from cows ghost that set. ate ghost grass. Ghost grass. Ghost weed. They just smoke some ghost weed. They smoke some ghost weed. That's what happens. You smoke some ghost weed, you go crazy. And so on. Till the loss began to grow heavy. Then queer stories, little by little, began to be told. It was said, first by one, then another, that Squire Bowes was seen about evening time walking, just as he used to do when he was alive among the old trees, leaning on his stick, and sometimes when he came up with that cattle, he would stop and lay his hand kindly on the back of one of them, and that one was sure to fall sick the next day and die soon after." Dick of a ghost just going around killing Dick cows? Dick on the devil. <laughs> no one ever met him in the park or in the woods or ever saw him except a good distance off. But they knew his gait and his figure well and the clothes he used to wear. And they could tell the beast he laid his hand on by its color, white, dun, or black. And that beast was sure to sicken and die. The neighbors grew shy of taking the path over the park, and no one would like to walk in the woods or come inside the bounds of Barwick, and the cattle went on sickening and dying as before. At that time, there was one Thomas Pike. He had been a groom to the old squire, and he was in care of the place, and was the only one that used to sleep in the house. Tom was vexed hearing these stories, which he did not believe the half of them, and more especially he could not get a man or boy to herd the cattle, all being afeard. So he wrote to Malik in Derbyshire for his brother, Richard Pike, a clever lad, and one that knew not of the story of the old squire walking. Dick came. <laughs> <laughs> As they do. Uh, I mean, apparently this guy's really turned on by ghost stories. Or cows. <laughs> Dead cows. Well, no, he hasn't He hasn't heard of the ghost stories yet. That's that was true. the whole point. So, no, he's just, it's just the cows. Just moo. <laughs> Dick came, and the cattle was better. Folks said they could still see the old squire sometimes, walking as before in openings of the wood with his stick in his hand, but he was shy of coming nigh the cattle, Whatever his reason might be, since Dick on Pike came. His name's Dick, Dick on Pike. On Pike. <laughs> oh. It gets better. It's so much better. Dick Pike. Dick Pike. Wow, he, you're awfully confident, aren't you, Dick Pike? It sounds like a British town. It's Dick, Dick on, on Pike. Pike. <laughs> Dick on Pike came. And he used to stand a long bit off looking at them with no more stir in him than a trunk of one of the old trees for an hour at a time till the shape melted away little by little 
like the smoke of a fire that burns out. Tom Pike and his brother Dickon. It's Dickon, like from Secret Garden. I never like made fun of that because it's such a sweet story, but his name is Dickon. <laughs> And he just wants a little bit of wick. That's what he wants. And he says a whole song about it in the musical. I want a little bit of wick. (laughs) My name's Dickon. Dickon Wick also sounds like a British town. (laughs) Um, Dickon is a character in Game Game of of Thrones. Thrones. And Pike is a place in Game of Thrones. It is. That one of the characters who no longer has his dick on is from... No spoilers. Watch Game of Thrones. It's so good. Tom Pike and his brother Dickon, being the only living souls in the house, lay in the big bed in the servants' room, the house being fast barred and locked one night in November. Tom was lying next to the wall, and he told me, as wide awake as he ever was at noon's day, his brother Dickon lay outside and was sound asleep. Well... As Tom lay thinking, and his eyes turned toward the door, it opened slowly, and who should come in but old Squire Bowes, his face looking as dead as he was in his coffin. Tom's very breath left his body. He could not take his eyes off him, and he felt the hair rising on his head. The squire came to the side of the bed and put his arms under Dickon and lifted the boy in a dead sleep all the time and carried him out so at the door. Such was the appearance to Tom Pike's eyes, and he was ready to swear to it anywhere. When this happened, the light, wherever it came from, all of a sudden went out, and Tom could not see his own hand before him. More dead than alive, he lay till daylight. Sure enough, his brother Dickon was gone. No sign of him could ever he discover about the house, and with some trouble he got a couple of the neighbors to help him in searching the woods and the ground, not a sign of him anywhere. At last, one of them thought of the island in the lake, and the little boat that moored to the old post at the water's edge. In they got, though the small hope of finding him there. Find him, nevertheless they did, sitting under the big ash tree, quite out of his wits. And to all their questions he answered nothing but one cry. Bows the devil! See him, see him, bows the devil! An idiot they found him, and so he will be till God sets all things right. But no one could ever get him to sleep under roof tree no more. He wanders from house to house while daylight lasts, and no one cares to lock the harmless creature in the workhouse. And folk would rather not meet him till after nightfall, for they think where he is there may be worse things near." A silence followed Tom's story. He and I were alone in that large He and I were alone in that large room. I was sitting near the open window looking into the dark night air. I fancied I saw something white move across it, and I heard a sound like low talking that swelled into a discordant shriek. How bows the devil over your shoulder. How 
I started up and saw by the light of the candle with which Tom strode to the window the wild eyes and blighted face of the idiot, as with a sudden change of mood he drew off, whispering and tittering to himself, and holding up his long fingers and looking at the tips like a hand of glory. I look at the tip like a hand of glory. <laughs> I wish I were video recording this moment because the speed with which you went from I look at the tip like a hand of glory to hand clasped over your mouth. This look on your face of, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that into a microphone was it was it was kind of amazing there's only a paragraph left i'm trying to like build it up yeah rewind a couple of sentences i started up and saw by the light of the candle with which tom strode to the window the wild eyes and blighted face of the idiot as with a sudden change of mood he drew off whispering and tittering to himself and holding up his long fingers and looking at the tips like a hand of glory. Tom pulled down the window. The story and its epilogue were over. I confess I was rather glad when I heard the sound of the horse's hooves on the courtyard a few minutes later and still gladder when, having bidden Tom a kind farewell, I had left the neglected house of Barwick a mile behind me. The end. So, did the lesbians get to move into the house? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I mean, he might tell them that story and be like, I don't... You can move in there if you want to. You can move to. in, but I would sell it. And I would sell it to a like foreigner from out of town who doesn't know the story. Um, maybe send Tom and his wife on a vacation, <laughs> and just let some like leave the door unlocked, so they don't get any info. They just you know come in. They're like, yeah, this looks great, and only view the house during the day. Um, just because you know at dark it's treacherous. You don't want to be there at night. Set it up as an Airbnb. Oh, that people like it is. Fuck yeah, set it up as an Airbnb that is haunted and people can come stay there. I think I think we're getting a chain of haunted Airbnbs because I'm pretty sure we did that with the the cottage in uh, the Vampire yeah, Maid the as vamp- well. Oh, fuck, because it had Ocean View and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Ocean View Cottage, idyllic, country proper- property. And this one, this one is Private Lake, cute island. Yeah, that is like traditional ghost story right there. Yeah. Like... I, so now I'm like understanding like some of the stuff people said about him is he wrote these he like drew beautiful pictures that was so beautifully written like it just paint it painted every paragraph and painted it was a picture. very who this every one, paragraph painted a picture ooh oh no his alliteration is, is rubbed off it's on you rubbed off on me um <laughs> I I want to go read now uh, uh Carmilla I do or or something yeah. that's a little more long form. Because what he did with this was very much what E.F. Benson said, which was that he established the the mystery and the atmosphere 
of a good horror story, but the actual horror story of it was was very brief. He spent a ton of time setting up the atmosphere. Which is what horror movies do. Like you think of like you do. think of a good horror story. Yeah. There's all this build up and there's like the false scares and stuff and then you don't actually like find out what the fuck's going on until the last 10 yeah. 15 minutes. But I'd yeah. be I'd be curious to see now what um what he does when he has more time to develop the the plot the yeah. story the action yeah. of because it because i would love because clearly he can like he can set the stage i wanted him to go to the island beautifully yeah. i was like ooh um, oh my god send him to the island go to the island yourself and see what you find is going to be creepy you know what it had so this is kind of an obscure reference i know you know this the whole time, for some reason, I kept thinking in the movie What Lies Beneath, <laughs> which is this yeah. really, like, honestly, kind of a obscure movie of its time with Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford are the leads. So it's Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford in a horror movie. And you guys, it's called What Lies Beneath. It is terrifying. I just saw it. It came up on TV like six months ago. Yeah. And I rewatched it. Oh, it holds up and it's, it's still disgusting and terrifying. But there's a lake. It's the whole lake involved. The lake thing, yeah. And there's something like off from the beginning. And there's all these this imagery and but stuff. But it takes you a while to figure you out. You don't what's, really know what's, what's going on until literally on. like the last fifteen it minutes. It is. It's one of those movies that came out in the '90s that now yeah. pops up on like, like network television on Saturday afternoons. It's the kind of movie that you see when you're doing laundry and yeah. you turn the TV on. Yeah. Um, but. But Go it's get it on it's like Netflix worth or something. It, down oh, it was and on Netflix it. or really Hulu good. recently, like at least in the past six months. It's called What Lies Beneath. I highly recommend it. For some reason, the imagery he was painting was very much that uh, it was painting um like picture of that movie in it because they live in that big house. It's a yeah. modern house, but it's a big like beautiful house on a lake, and like something's wrong yeah. and yeah. So that. That was Sheridan Lafanu. Sheridan um, Lafanu. That's a fucking great name. It's a good name. By the way. It's like, a good name. Sheridan Lafanu. Yeah. With a name like that, you need to be a writer, a painter, a model, uh, an actor. Actor. Yeah. You better be um, an artist of some sort. Yeah. yeah. It's like so you was, can't enter a room and be like, my name is Sheridan Lafanu. That was that was lawyer. It <laughs> doesn't work. Sheridan Lafanu. Housekeeping. <laughs> I am trying to think of others, and I can't, because because that the, that was the winner. That was the winner. <laughs> that was the winner. Housekeeping. Why'd you tell me your full name? Because <laughs> my name is Sheridan Lafanu. Sheridan Lafanu. Tip your housekeeper, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate the artistry with which I fold your towels into a beautiful swan. Don't make me put my dick on your pillow. <laughs> oh, and this is why I'm afraid to stay at hotels. No, this is why you're nice to service workers. This is true. Because as I know, Ken and I have both worked in the service industry yep. in restaurants. Um, you have also worked at a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all, be nice to service workers and tip them. Because guess what? If you're mean, they're going to put their dick on something that you have to and, touch. <laughs> and for the record, being nice to, I'm talking specifically at a hotel, 
being nice to the bell team does not include ladies answering the door naked when you have asked for a bellman to bring something to your room. That does not count as a tip. Did that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. I'm not mad at all. I think it's (laughs) fucking fabulous. Uh, What? Can you come grab my bag? (laughs) Yeah, that's not a tip. Well, she she was looking for a different kind of tip. If you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. And for the and that's record. that's what she was looking for. I don't know you and I don't know where you've been. I'd rather have 20 bucks <laughs> than whatever you got going on down there. you naked for a random person, I don't want my tip uh-uh. anywhere near your bags. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> All right. So if you're still listening to this, please send us a, uh, like, uh, Dick on my pillow or... Um, I like that. This week's secret code is dick on my pillow. Dick on my pillow. I think that's it. I think that's all we have to say. Uh, I mean, go find our, you know, social media, yada, 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 yada. Go listen to Path Went Chilly. Um, uh, tell five friends because it's the five pyramid friends. scheme. Yeah. So, the, so the, the way this works is subscribe. That helps us a ton. Leave a review. That helps us a ton. And then tell five friends. That's it. Uh, I think that's a wrap on this week's episode. So until next Tuesday, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Dick, dick, dick on my pillow. Dick, 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 dick on my pillow. You said that's a wrap, so I'm wrapping now. There's a decent chance that I just auto-tune.